This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. Uh, welcome back, Elizabeth. Good to see you. Hey, Kevin. Good to see you. <laughs> All right. So today we wanted to talk about one of the most discussed topics in uh, discussions around ethical non-monogamy, and that is jealousy. Yes. Big hot button topic. <laughs> so a lot of people question polyamorous people about jealousy. And uh, let's go ahead and just kick things off. A good definition of jealousy would be a feeling of unease from suspicion or loss or fear of loss. Yeah, the fear. We often talk about this in polyamory because it's something that nobody is really immune from. I've heard a few people claim to never feel jealousy. I don't know if I quite believe them, but like by and large, almost every single person I know that's been in an ethical non-monogamous relationship has experienced jealousy at some time. Yeah, I agree. Almost every poly person I know still experiences jealousy sometimes. And I think that because people don't question that feeling a lot uh, outside of these circles, or at least as often as we do, causes people to not really realize what's at the core of jealousy. Jealousy tends to be a secondary emotion. Yeah, definitely. I think once you start realizing that it's more of a symptom of an underlying reality or fear even uh, about a potential reality, then it can really like help explain some of uh, the root causes. So yeah, definitely a secondary type emotion about feelings of potential loss or insecurity, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So I've definitely felt jealous in my life when uh, I've had either a fear of loss, unsatisfied needs or insecurity in the relationship or myself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think I've experienced jealousy mostly when I feel I may be out, outdone, I guess, by a potential metamor, I suppose, like mm -hmm. a potential, potential rival, as they said in the, some of the definitions. <laughs> um, and we were saying that we're often friends with our quote unquote rivals in the polyamorous communities. So yeah, there are metamors are your partner's partner. Yeah. Thank you for that breakdown, Kevin. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So what what else would you say about it being like secondary to some of those underlying feelings? I find it much easier to tackle and understand once I realize that it was a secondary emotion. Because then normally I see monogamous people approach relationships and it, it maybe people that are just transitioning to a polyamorous relationship think that the moment you feel jealousy, then immediately something needs to change and something is wrong. Right. And Jealousy can be a really useful tool mm -hmm. to understand that there are either issues in your relationship or things that you should work on yourself, mm -hmm. um, both of which are things that you can work on and work towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, sometimes people react, especially earlier on in a lot of people's polyamory journeys. We, we've talked before about like how we usually have longer lists of like rules and expectations and boundaries, because I think we're trying to control potential situations in which we may feel insecure or jealous or feel like we're out of control in some way. So I guess what I'm saying is like, we realize that those insecurities can be tools to figure out like what we can improve in the relationship. Then we take those actions and actually like fix things rather than slapping more rules on it, uh, mm -hmm. more like restrictions, which can be a response like, oh, well, I'm 
one common one is like, well, we can't get jealous if we only date people together or if we only have sexual situations together. So like, you know, you think that if you have only three threesomes and triads, then, you know, it's all like equally whatever. But really, that's not quite how balance works <laughs> usually. Yeah. And just like we talked about in our second episode, a lot of people coming from monogamy assume that a triad is the easiest form of polyamory. Yeah. <laughs> and in both your and my opinions, it is probably the hardest yeah. <laughs> version of polyamory. It is, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's just like tricky to balance. It's like a stool. Like if you have three legs, you those three legs have to be exactly equally balanced in order to stand. And if one of them is made of a different material or a millimeter shorter, then the whole thing's going to be off. Or we're added at a different time. Yeah. Or added not, you know, without clear understanding of (laughs) exactly. (laughs) We've talked a little bit about what jealousy is. What are times where you have felt jealous in your relationships? Mm. Like I said, when I think I might be outdone, I would say this applies to some of my more power exchange oriented dynamics. Uh, Mm -hmm. I tend to have high expectations of myself and my partners in that, those specific structure types. Um, I mean, in general, I think I have high expectations, but um, including of myself. So I think if I feel like another person might be better than me at, you know, XYZ talent, skill, service, or whatever experience, then maybe that makes me feel insecure about my own talents probably (laughs) yeah i know i've had you know i'll maybe try to go a little bit more specific so i had a relationship where i felt relatively secure and then my partner started dating somebody and they bonded very very quickly and were very interested in accelerating that relationship and i started to feel like that person was a better version of me oh yeah and that was really difficult to overcome mm. the jealousy from that yeah one of the things that poly- like 12 plus years of polyamory has made me learn is that like i have to be happy with the best version of myself i have to be happy with myself you know like mm-hmm. to, in order to feel secure in my relationships because nobody else can really give me that same kind of validation that I can get from myself and so yeah like it can be easy to compare ourselves to other people i've heard that comparison is the thief of joy i think if we're like well they're a better version of me at xyz yeah then um but once you start realizing that like everybody's you know everybody's special <laughs> everybody's unique truly everybody is u- completely unique and so there's no one who can replicate the experience that is you. And yeah. um, that made me feel a lot better and more capable in polyamorous relationships. So jealousy, in my experience, has happened most often when my partner is starting to see somebody new. That newness, you start to see your metamor through your partner's new relationship energy yeah. eyes. <laughs> and that's a, a effect I call the Adonis effect, mm. where... The person your partner is seeing is the most interesting, sexy, intelligent person yeah. ever to have walked the planet. Most fascinating and, ever. Yeah. And so it can be hard to cope with that person, that idealized version of somebody, because we're always presenting our best self to new partners. We're always on our best behavior. Seeing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we're always seeing people, you know, our blood, our brains flood us. Mm-hmm. full of a whole bunch of good fuel chemicals mm-hmm. to help make us 
not really notice a whole lot else other than the things that we want to focus on. Right. For social bonding reasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're totally right. Yeah. NRE, new relationship energy is definitely difficult for some people's partners to experience. And they do, they do, the Adonis effect does happen sometimes. And I think that yeah, because they're still excited about discovering new things and new activities and new types of dynamic with their new partner. It can be really intense for the other partner. So it's like <laughs> it's like being bombed with oxytocin. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can like either use jealousy in a non-destructive way or even prevent jealousy in some ways? Let's talk about that a little bit. I know for sure that jealousy can be a really useful tool to realize something you haven't noticed about yourself or your relationship possibly before. Yeah. Where there may have been some cracks. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was saying before we recorded that it, it's for me, it's a lot like water filling up armor or something or really anything. Like if there's a crack in a in a vessel, then you're going to discover it with the water. So if you fill the relationship with Maybe it's NRE, maybe it's an insecurity for something else, then I'm going to figure out what, what, what my insecurities are, you know? <laughs> yeah. Ways to kind of combat issues around jealousy, I found to be, uh, in particular with the Adonis effect, uh, is to meet your metamor, mm -hmm. if that is Humanize them. acceptable. Yeah. yeah. If that's acceptable to the way in which you run your relationships, this is why I'm always advocating for that, because then you can see, oh... They're not this perfect godlike human being. They're they're a regular person with flaws just like me. Yeah, yeah. And that can be really, really helpful. So getting to know them and, and recognizing who they are as a person. Absolutely. Yeah. Next, uh, for just general situations, uh, mindfulness, which mm -hmm. is just like being present, aware, and accepting of your current circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, I... You can kind of practice mindfulness through meditation or going on a walk. What were you gonna say, Elizabeth? Oh, I I just jotted down uh, acceptance with radical acceptance. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, a not something I've mastered for sure, but it's definitely like a kind of a, a lifestyle or a philosophy, I suppose, in a way of kind of intense surrender to present circumstances, including one's own emotions, which aren't, as we were talking about, not necessarily indicative of the circumstances themselves, but still valid as things we feel. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you know, just acceptance in general. And uh, yeah, I think that can be really helpful. Yeah. The feelings you feel are real, mm -hmm. but they may not always be a accurate reflection of reality. Right. right. And so don't let other people say that those feelings don't exist or that they're not there mm -hmm. because they are. Mm -hmm. But be mindful that our brains tell us a certain version of the world and not always is that a healthy, helpful or realistic version of the world. Absolutely. Uh, so other things you can do to help combat jealousy, challenge your negative thoughts. Uh, I try to hunt down and find <laughs> what those, what the base of those feelings are by just asking why over and over again. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm, I feel jealous. Why? Yeah. Well, I'm worried that my partner is going to leave me or I, I'm not getting my needs met. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, why is that feeling there? Yeah. Well, maybe I need to reflect on my relationship. Maybe I need to look at myself. Mm -hmm. Constantly asking yourself why and going down that chain can be really helpful. Or, and then what statements? Okay, what, what is my fear? My fear is I'm going to be left. 
and then what? I won't have my partner anymore, and then what? I, I guess I keep living. Like, you can keep <laughs> mm-hmm. going down that negative thought train, and for some people, that allows you to rationalize it and understand that at the very end of the day, even if you're absent of that partner because they leave you, then you're going to be okay. Yeah, you'll be. The, you'll still the life will still go on. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I've found that kind of thing helpful in my in my years of going to therapy. You know, um, mm-hmm. I like that. It's a way to confront our fears, really. So, yeah, what happens if you face your fears? What happens if the worst thing that you think can happen comes true? Or you know, do you still keep living? <laughs> Probably, you know, and. Yep. That can be reassuring for a lot of people to kind of chase that rabbit hole. I like it. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about, you so you mentioned like taking walks and kind of distraction. Mm-hmm. I jotted down exercise yeah. as a great way to replace your, those sad, worried chemicals in your brain, those frustrated, restless, maybe chemicals in your brain with like positive chemicals that are good for your body and good for your brain and make you feel better. And with challenging negative thoughts, I was thinking about like our friendships that can be, Mm -hmm. you know, bouncing ideas off of your friends, like, you know, can help you sometimes figure out how realistic those fears are or where, whether they're grounded in what they're seeing in your relationship or, you know, and it could be just a helpful different perspective. They may not have the perfect, most objective perspective, but you know, who does? So I like I like to bounce those things off my friends. And then sometimes they'll be like, well, it doesn't seem like your partner's trying to leave you for such and such, you know, like, and I like to challenge my own negative thoughts with like little mantras, even around the house that I choose or create or put them in my computer or whatever. So Mm -hmm. even reminders for myself that are just like general sort of like positive, um, self-actualizing kind of challenging those negative thoughts. Yeah. And Unintentionally, we actually set this up so all of the solutions that we proposed first were all things that you do on your own and not ask from other people. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that we really thought of is asking for affirmation or reevaluating your relationship with your partner that you're feeling jealous about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't automatically mean that rules or anything needs to change in the relationship. Sometimes just getting that feeling out in the open can really help. It's true. <laughs> and other times, Uh, There are structural changes you can make to the relationship, like starting to go back on dates if you're partners who have been nesting for a while and forgotten Mm -hmm. about that (laughs) aspect of your relationship. Uh, It can be a good time to reinvest in your relationship in certain ways. So ask for that affirmation from your partner, find your love languages, and uh, find the value in your relationships where you're lacking and where they're able to provide. I like that. I think figuring out what how you hear love languages is really helpful um, and how you speak them. I tend to forget about reassurances because I'm not, I mean, despite being a pretty verbal communicative person, I forget to like sometimes remind my f- partners that like of the basics that I assume they assume. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, if my partners are more like words of affirmation type people then it can be more more useful for them to hear those reassurances so i have to remember to like round all my bases <laughs> sometimes so uh you know closing out here we wanted to talk about a few things before we got off so we wanted to talk about you know some warnings mm-hmm. to for people to be mindful of mm-hmm. that just because you feel jealous doesn't necessarily mean that you need to create new rules in the relationship 
It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to create double standards that weren't there previously. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, but, we should give it, a couple examples just in general, because I feel like this happens a lot as a reaction to jealousy. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Just thinking about, you know, sometimes people think that if they, we talked earlier about like limiting who you date or what sexual situations you have, you know, so, so, but I find that really the communication itself can be, can be very healing of the jealousy in a lot of ways. And and like you said, reevaluating the relationship even, and maybe you're at a better place than you thought even, you know, and maybe there are more possibilities and more like not necessarily relationship escalator type leveling up, but just like leveling up of the relationship in general that you didn't know was even an option yet. So that can be healing in itself. But, but I feel like people try to put rules led and like we said, double standards of, um, one common one I see a lot is like, I can see X, Y, Z people of, of this gender, but you can only see people of this gender or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the most common one is one penis policies yeah. and occasionally one one uh, pussy policies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does happen. And I find it like not just homophobic, but transphobic too. And like just general, just problematic. But, um, but I think that that is a common reaction sometimes when people experience that fear. How would you recommend navigating that kind of like avoiding avoiding putting those restrictions on but rather investigating the the prop the i don't know the jealousy root talk about it and uh, process your feelings on your own if you need to go to therapy go see your friends own your own feelings whenever wherever possible and ask for assistance where you can and only change the makeup of your relationship when it makes sense and benefits everyone yeah definitely that's great great and succinct thank you kevin You're welcome. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Uh, We're coming up next with a continuation on uh, last week's uh, secondary segment about the Relationship Bill of Rights. Awesome. Hi there. This is a corrective addition that we wanted to add on. Uh, In a previous episode, we mentioned that the author of the Relationship Bill of Rights had some accusations against him. Uh, We wanted to clarify that we were referring to Franklin Vo and uh, not the co-author Eve Rickert, who was one of his victims. Thank you for listening. This is a continuation of part one. We will be moving on to part two shortly. All right. Okay. So the next point. Uh, to, Is that mine? Uh, no, it'll be mine. Uh, I think. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, to set yeah. boundaries concerning your privacy needs. Mm, yeah. I think this is especially relevant to, <clears throat> um, like, what the first thing that comes to my mind is there's a lot of debate in all relationships about whether or not it's okay to have access to your partner's phone or laptop or other digital media or whatever. Um. Some people are like, well, if you're not hiding anything, then why would it be an issue to look through each other's phones? But I've never been comfortable with that. And I'm not hiding anything at all. (laughs) So my spouse and my, my, my boyfriend know everything that's going on between me and whoever. But I still need my privacy because I'm allowed to have that, you know, I'm allowed to have my own space. I have my own bedroom. Um, I require them to knock before they enter my fucking room. And yeah. I'm an I'm an independent human. I'm an adult and I'm not a child and I'm not captive. I'm not here by coercion. And so, yeah, I do require to have some privacy. You know, I'm allowed to have conversations with my friends 
that are not public knowledge. I'm allowed to have conversations with with people I'm flirting with or whatever, you know, like, and that's, that's, it's not, in my opinion, in my relationship, it's not appropriate for us to go through each other's devices because, you know, there's, if, I, I don't know, that, what do you think, Kevin? So I run things in my relationships usually a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. And uh, this will be primarily focused on how I treat uh, nesting partners or people that I've had long-term relationships with. Yeah. I, I prefer to have them be able to unlock my phone. I like put their fingerprint into my fingerprint reader. I was like, because if I'm driving, it might be useful for them to be able to change the music or update the maps sure. or sure. I think any, that's any number though. of things. And similar to you, like I don't have anything to hide. But for me, I'm I'm so obsessively honest with people yeah. that there really isn't you know, there have been very rarely times where I feel like I've wanted to withhold information from partners. And it's much more about only providing my partners the information they need or want. Right. So, I think we're actually more on the same page than we might think because I, well, like, I was about to I was about to throw a curveball and oh, like okay, go describe ahead. a little further. Yeah. So hold on one second. Okay. <laughs> uh, so one thing about setting boundaries for privacy needs to be that I have very strong opinions about is that you have the full, utter right to express to other people in your life things that happen to you. And I've had, so let me give you an example. I have talked to some people who uh, they were having relationships where there was either abuse or things close enough to abuse where it was concerning and that they really needed to talk to people about and their partner that this was involving, they really didn't want them discussing those facts with other people and would get very upset if they found out that other people knew. And that can be a very important lifeline for people in abusive relationships or people who are like, especially new to polyamory and maybe doing something shitty that they don't understand. And uh, so things that happen to you, I feel like you should have the full right to be able to communicate to others mm -hmm. in order to help avoid uh, situations like that. I think I understand what you're saying. Um, and I agree. Um, I was in, you know, a long time ago, an abusive relationship. And when I left, the abuser like called me on the phone and said, if you try to tell anyone, no one will believe you. And that was obviously extremely manipulative and continuing abuse. And I think, I think you and I are on the same page in that, like, we we feel like because it happened to me, I should have the right to reach out to my community for help, talk to my therapist about it, whatever. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Um. So an example of the situation I ran into, somebody was being honest with their other partners and their friends about who they were going to go see mm. when they were leaving town, but they were lying to their partner, and it came out because they were discussing things, and one friend was there. One mutual friend of both partners was there and was like, oh, no, they weren't going to X. They were going to Y. Mm. And they were going to see this girl and they're having intimate relationships wow. and they're not telling you. And through the grapevine and through that person, I heard that the partner in question was upset and not happy with that information was being shared mm. and that it was being discussed openly. And I feel like in those sorts of situations, sunlight is the best cure. You should be talking about it. 
and trying to resolve the issues between not just the parties, but also allowing the parties to be able to access the help they need yeah. and the people to talk to to provide them context for what's going on in their life. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the next one is uh, to you have the right to set clear limits on the obligations you will make. That one's great. Yeah. I, I often say that the, the only boxes that exist for us outside of oppressive forces like racism, misogyny, et cetera, but most of the boxes that we choose for ourselves are of our own volition. So that includes like whether or not you get married legally or whether or not you decide to get pregnant or whether or not you fluid bond with someone. Those are choices we make generally, right? So not everyone is uh, going to have be comfortable making the same like obligations in relationships. So, you know, whether you live together, whether you are financially entwined, that kind of thing. So that's what comes to mind for me. What about you? I think that it's a really good point. Uh, point. The next point is uh, <laughs> to seek balance between uh, what you give to the relationship and what is given back to you. Mm. I think that's a very interesting point. I'm not entirely sure. I, I haven't thought about it too hard, so I'm not entirely sure how much I agree with it. Because I feel like everybody brings different things to relationships. And the best relationships are where both people feel like they have the better end. Well, isn't that balance? I feel like balance, it, it's hard to determine in something as squishy as a relationship. Well, I feel like that's why it's unique to each relationship. And I think seeking balance no, in a relationship makes perfect sense to me. Because if I say, I need you to take out the trash. And if you do that, I'll do the dishes. And, you know, I'd like us to have similar numbers of orgasms during sex or whatever. Like, I feel like those things involve balance. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's different in each relationship. And obviously there are some relationships that involve like power exchange where maybe one partner is quote unquote giving more than the other partner in some way, like through domestic service or even mm -hmm. sexual service or something like that. But I think there's still a balance because you're hopefully both getting things that you want. Right. And like you just said, you both feel like you have the better end of the deal in a way. But I think- yeah, that's what I always aim for in my relationships and, and hope for. Yeah. I, I've been in relationships in my life where both people were saying outright that they felt like, oh, I, I feel like I'm not doing enough in the relationship because you do so much for me. And it's like, well, if you're both feeling that way, then it's probably a good sign. <laughs> yeah. You probably care about each other and want to please each other and, you know, make each other comfortable. Yeah. Right. Uh, the next part is to know... That your partner <laughs> will work with you to resolve problems that arise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I feel like doesn't really... Mostly what our podcast is about, like trying to resolve issues and have the tools that you need to help your partner in the times they need it. Yeah. Um, the right to know that your partner will work with you to resolve problems that arise. That could be anything. It could be... Ooh, it could be... Financial help. Financial, yeah. It could be jealousy. It could be... An accidental STD exposure. Um, it could be an accidental pregnancy. It could be a lot of things. So loss of a job, loss of a job. Yeah, loss um, of housing. Basically, having your partner on your side, I feel like, yeah. is, is what this talks about. They're not just going to be like, "Well, that's your problem. Fuck you." <laughs> you know. <laughs> I feel like your partner should be your partner in in crime. You know, not crime, but like, <laughs> well, <laughs> not not literal crime. Not literal. Unless crime. the laws don't make sense. <laughs> But they should be your partner in life at least enough that, you know, you can support each other emotionally and maybe in other ways when you're going through tough stuff. That's a good one. Uh, the next one is um, you have the right to 
choose whether you want a monogamous or polyamorous relationship. And I think this is kind of mind-blowing for some people because our society says that the default is monogamy. And a lot of people go, okay, I guess this is how it is. And I guess I'll just be monogamous even though I don't want to. Or on the flip side, I've definitely met people who feel like they've been uh, often coerced into a polyamorous relationship where they don't want to be. They want to be monogamous. Yeah. So it's totally up to you. You get to choose. Just like, this is what this point says. You choose whether you're in a poly or monogamous relationship. And like if someone's making you, forcing you to do one or the other, that's abuse. That's a red flag to me. And so, um, you know, I mean, it just seems, and probably a huge compatibility issue. So yeah, I, I have chosen pretty much my entire adult life to be in polyamorous relationships and I've lost a partner or two because of it because they wanted to be monogamous and that's just not how I want to operate. And so, um, yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? In spite of being terrible at grammar, I would say that if I were to write it, I would say to choose whether you have a monogamous or polyamorous relationship. Oh, I see. Because you may, you may want one, but be willing and happy to accept the other. That's true. And yeah. that's, that's a valid way to have a relationship and totally fine. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the, what they were meaning was whether you have a polyamorous or monogamous relationship. Absolutely. Because there are poly people who will be monogamous for, for short periods or forever, just like a bisexual person could be with a single person forever. And, you know, just because they may be attracted to more than one gender doesn't mean that they have to be with all the genders <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good one. So uh, you also have the right to grow and change. Mm, big one. And, well, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, that everybody's changing all the time. And that's a, nat that's a natural state of things. Stasis and staying the same is not the, the norm. Yeah. The norm is change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Change is tough for me, I guess. And yet, I think it is for most people yeah. because we, we get our hearts and minds set on one thing or get comfortable in something and nothing lasts forever. That's true. Sad. Um, but like, yeah, people do absolutely grow and change. Maybe you're 31 and you realize that you are bisexual or you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're maybe you're in a certain kind of relationship for a long time. And then suddenly you realize you actually don't want kids um, or Maybe you realize that certain kinks are more your style than others or whatever. People change all the time or, you know, so I, I, th I think that it's important to feel comfortable and safe enough and supported by your partner enough to say, hey, I have realized something recently and I want to talk to you about it. I think that something about my desires have changed. Um, and it's not always bad. It can be really fun and exciting. Like, hey, I've decided that I am up for that threesome for your birthday. Or, you know, I've decided that I am okay with you seeing other people. Or I've, I've realized that I want to try these new things in bed or whatever. And so change can be wonderful and transformative and uh, exciting. Yeah. Uh, my partner was fairly committed to leaving the state and going maybe living in Colorado or Seattle way far from the uh, mid-Atlantic where we are yeah and I was really sad and that uh -huh. plan changed and uh -huh. I was ha I, I was happy for her that she was going to be doing the things she wanted I wasn't advocating for her not to leave yeah but it would have been 
pretty much the end of that relationship. Right. And uh, her staying around meant that I got to keep her for longer. Aww. Mm. Yeah. Keep her company for longer, not yeah. her as a person. I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the next one is you have the right to make mistakes. Yes. So obviously, so mis- important. Yeah, very important. Mistakes are not intentional. Mistakes are mistakes. Um, but we all make them, especially in relationships. You know, I will sometimes say something that comes off as really mean when I don't intend to, or you know, maybe I did something and just wasn't thinking, and it hurt a partner of mine. And so, you know, everyone makes mistakes, and I think how you deal with those mistakes says a lot about your comfort as a couple or in that relationship and with yourself. You're free to make mistakes. Stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, try to be compassionate to those who have made mistakes that affect you and try to avoid making mistakes wherever you can. And yeah. learning, learning is part of that. And listening to this podcast will help you learn. Yeah. <laughs> the last one of this segment is to end a relationship, which I think is vital. I, I have a hard time giving myself that permission sometimes. Mm. Uh, so I'm it's, it's a helpful reminder. <laughs> I'm the kind of person who's just like, well, this isn't going exactly as I want, so bye. <laughs> Which isn't good and definitely a result of trauma. But um, yeah, you have the right to end a relationship. I see lots of people in unhappy relationships who feel trapped, who feel that they can't leave because of finances or children or they live together or whatever. And or they made a commitment 13 years ago or however, whatever it is, you know. And so, yeah, you have the right to end a relationship at any time. And it's like revoking consent, in my opinion. Yeah. You're not obligated to continue anything until you die just because you made the decision when you were 25 or whatever. Uh, This is part two. You can go back to the last episode to hear part one where we talked about how it affects all relationships. And in the second part, we are now discussing the section specifically dedicated towards the Relationship Bill of Rights in poly relationships and in poly networks. Yeah, maybe we should break down what we mean by a poly network. People call them different things, but some people call them polycules or a poly family or a polypod. But a poly network is basically the network of people that you and your partners are involved in. So, or maybe you, your partner's partners, maybe your partner's partner's partners, etc. And so it's kind of up to each person, I think, to define what they mean by their own poly network, but that's basically the rundown. So the first one for uh, the Relationship Bill of Rights in a poly relationship is you have the right to decide how many partners you want. And I like that one. Um, I think we we like most of these. <laughs> um, but basically, I would say that means um, that you shouldn't feel like you have to date a certain number of people, whether that's one or five um, or anything in between or or any number. So if I only feel like I have time to date two people, that's perfectly fine. And it doesn't make you more or less poly than anything else. There, there should be a consideration for a reasonable uh, expectation for your partners to spend the amount of time that you feel like is important, um, unless you are you know, not willing to accept that relationship anymore. And so there is a certain way in which your partner may, their needs should be considered, but in the end, it's up to you to decide how many partners you want and be able to have that kind of relationship. Do you mean like how much time you're able to spend with each partner? 
yeah, or like how much time your partner has spent with you and how much time you are allowed or uh, advocate for in your relationships. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. I just want to make sure I am focused on the right details. If you try to date like, you know, 16 people at once, then it might be possible, but it's going to be difficult for you to give quality time probably to each one of those partners. Yeah. So it's a common refrain in the poly community to say that love is infinite, but time is not. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. You have the right to choose your own partners yeah i really like this one like we've mentioned with almost all of these uh (laughs) and uh, i think both you and i agree that on the whole vetoes tend to be a bad idea yeah and yeah you know that that's a kind of broad statement like there are some circumstances where it might be warranted to express concern for your your partner and their safety Mm -hmm. or your own safety uh, but ultimately, your ability to change anything in your partner ends at your ability to end your relationship with them. Yeah, I I really am a I'm a believer that you can't control other people. You know, like you can you can try to structure, you can try to include vetoes in your power dynamic if you want to. But I've found that it's generally healthiest if that's not hanging over your head. Like, oh, my wife doesn't like. <clears throat> my girlfriend so you know she can end my relationship at any time that seems like an unhealthy power dynamic to me uh yeah so i would say that that's pretty important to think about and i would also say that choosing your own partners you know goes kind of i guess in the opposite direction like we've talked about um uh unicorn hunting in the sense of like unhealthy types of seeking of a particular type of person to fulfill a slot that you have in your mind for your dynamic. So if your partner is trying to choose other partners for you, like to make you get along with them and make you have a romantic or sexual dynamic with them, I would consider that unhealthy as well. So, you know, you can say yes, you can say no. I feel like that's important in any relationship. Uh, You have the right to have an equal say with each of your partners in deciding the form your relationship with that partner will, will take. So to me, that means you get to define your own relationships. You know, you can decide if you want to be live in, not live in. Do you want to have a dominant submissive element? Do you want to have a sexual element or a non-sexual relationship? Do you want to have a romantic or non-romantic? I mean, in general, with polyamory, we're overall talking about romantic relationships, but it doesn't have to be. And so... Yeah, I I like that one because relationships are really choose your own adventure and very customizable in my opinion. So I like that. I was going to say it's like a like relationships tend to be like a buffet where you can take or leave what you want. Yeah. As long as the other person consents to it. Yeah. Uh, But I like the choose your own adventure. I think that's a little bit more fitting. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, The the next point is uh, you have the right to choose the level of time and investment you will offer to each partner. Mm, Yeah. You know, similar vein to the uh, the first point we were talking about in this section. What does that mean to you? Uh, so when I start dating somebody, I definitely tell them how much time I have available so that they know how what I can offer them as far as time. And I try to be honest about what I have going on in my life so they know kind of what my other obligations are. Uh, do you do anything similar? Yeah. As an introvert, I uh, my own like private self-care time is very important to me. 
So I tend to schedule that first um, and then sort of structure my social life and my relationships around those. Because if I don't take care of my own recharging alone time, then I'm not going to be any good to anybody. So yeah, so in, in the metaphor of like the big glass jar with like the big rocks first and then the medium sized rocks and the little rocks in the sand. I think we talked about that in a previous episode, maybe, but that's a metaphor I like to use. So the big rocks for me, some of them include like my own private time. So, and not that relationships aren't important, but I feel like self-care should be prioritized, at least in my own life, first. I do a very similar thing. I, I try not overload my, my life with more than I can handle. To understand clearly any rules that will apply to your relationship before entering into it. We've talked about rules versus boundaries a couple times, I think, in previous relationships. And I think we've both agreed that we have not a lot of rules and a lot of understandings, a lot of maybe boundaries that are less like a little more fluid or maybe a little more. They're more focused on yourself and what you're willing to accept in your own relationship. Yeah. So my, you know, my rules come down to like honesty, (laughs) communication, things that I consider vital in any relationship, whether it's friendship or romantic Sexual safety is a big, important one for me. So I would say that those are the things that I would want to know about before entering into a relationship, you know. And if somebody has a rule like, well, you can never talk to my spouse, you know, I need to know that up front. And or, you know, I don't want you to date my friends or whatever, then I need to know that as well. Because in the poly world, friends and exes aren't necessarily off limits, I feel like. As much as they are in the monogamous world, because we all kind of know each other (laughs) in a lot of ways. I think it really depends because I see on message boards um, people being very, very of the opinion that exes are totally fine to have off limits. And I, I I have a nuanced view of it. And I think that. It can be okay, but probably warrants a lot of discussion. I agree. Discussion. It's okay to have rules against especially you know some people are of the opinion that you break up with somebody for a reason yes i agree i completely agree but it's possible that my ex might be more compatible with one of my partners than i was i know for me like i find that my relationships there's much more reason to have healthy and happy breakups in a poly community because we are a smaller group of people And we tend to be a little bit more interconnected in our local area here. And something I've heard about other areas as well, uh, very similar. Yeah, I agree. And I I certainly agree that people are allowed to make their own decisions about whether or not, you know, certain people are off limits. And that's perfectly fine. But I do think that in poly communities, there tend to be there tends to be a little bit more openness about or open mindedness, maybe to the idea of dating exes or friends or your partner's friends or whatever because it is a smaller community i guess and so yeah one of my (laughs) one of my longest standing relationships is uh was originally a good friend of my partner at the time yeah Mm -hmm. yeah for you and i we have a much different relationship style than other people might and so if somebody is going to have a lot more rules in their relationship that is it is extraordinarily important for them to be made aware of it i agree yeah or the next point is to discuss with your partner uh, with your partner's decisions that affect you. Mm-hmm. We talk about people who are thinking about forming a triad mm-hmm. or dating a current metamor. Mm-hmm. I find that 
probably the most important time to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody has buy-in or if a new relationship is coming in as well, that people know or people are allowed to have buy-in to any sort of rules that they're agreeing to. Yeah. Um, I know that you've brought that up yourself with your your kind of like pod dynamics, and I like that. Yeah. On on We have very few rules, one of them being an SCI testing rule, yeah. and we have it in writing. Yeah. And it has on the bottom of it, this is a living document, and anybody subject to it is allowed to suggest changes to it. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. The first thing that came to my mind when I saw this point was um, birth control because, you know, everybody is different. And I mean, I think that comes with like sexual safety in general. I think that's a really Mm -hmm. important, obviously a huge, important like factor. (laughs) But if I if I suddenly need to go off my birth control for some reason and I'm fluid bonded with a partner who needs to know that that's something I would have to tell them immediately. You know, and so that's something I would consider a decision that affected them, you know? Yeah. Obviously. Definitely agree. Um, you have the right to have alone time with each of your partners. I like that a lot. And I think it is important. I have been in unhealthy dynamics in the past where I was basically restricted from having any alone time with specific partners because of their other partners' insecurities. And, uh, and that was not good for me and not good for any of us, I think. And so yeah, um, quality one-on-one time is really important to me. I focus better on individuals that I can have conversations with one-on-one. I would rather spend quality time with them in a in an alone setting than in a group setting, generally. So, yeah, that's a that's an important one. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that we're always different people around different individuals. That's true. I highly value time that I can spend. Uh, with my partners and groups because it's a unique dynamic that we get to have and we get to enjoy each other's company in a specific way and be a certain version of ourselves towards each other. And for the same reason, having time alone is important because you're going to be a slightly different person and uh, be able to interact differently than if other people are around. I completely agree. And I love spending time with both of my partners at the same time because it makes me feel super spoiled and I like to see their dynamics together. And, you know, and uh, the last one that's specifically just for poly relationships and not about the poly networks is to enjoy passion and special moments with each of your partners. Aw. Yeah, I think that's that's great and just really kind of a sweet thing to be able to specify in this type of uh, relationship document. All right. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, Everybody, if you're listening and you'd like to provide questions or uh, things for us to answer, uh, we have our regular uh, relationship amateur hour uh, where we always need your help. So please contact us on the information. Uh, It should be linked in the description of the podcast, all the ways to reach us. And hope you have a great day. All right. This episode was edited by Jackson Menton. Music by Antilude. And logo design by Carmen Bolding. Please share the Lesson 83 podcast uh, with your friends. It would really help us out. Thank you.